So uh, you probably grew up hearing the, the simple axiom or phrase that many hands make light work, right? We've all heard that. My dad loved to share that. I think it's true. And this morning, as we go through our series through the book of Nehemiah, we're going to talk about this from a perspective where we're going to see that through God's hand at work, as Nehemiah records the details of what they did in the process of restoring the walls, that ultimately we're going to see that they accomplished something together that could never have been accomplished without the unity that comes from collaboration. In Africa, they have this beautiful phrase. I like the wording of it even better than many hands making light work. It says this, the alone finger struggles to pick up the pebble. Isn't that a great phrase? The alone finger struggles to pick up the pebble. It's my perspective in the culture that we live in, isolated, that we we do so many things, like all of our technology is kind of custom fit to us, right? Like that we we can download entertainment that meets our needs, that suits us, the music we want, that there's a way for us to be so isolated that we miss out on the privilege of doing something bigger than us that is a, a result of the kind of collaboration that God's designed for you and I to experience together. And here today, we get this little glimpse into what happened with Nehemiah. That, that this kind of captain's log summarizes in chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 3. There's not time to read through all of the words and all of the names, but what I want you to see when you turn to Nehemiah chapter 3 is this, this log of how individuals by name participated in what God was doing. And, and there's this, this, du- this beautiful blessing that comes from seeing so many different types of people, so many different age groups, so many different individuals that joined in what God was doing in a collaborative way. And what ultimately happened because of it was something that never could have happened on their own strength or with one individual's process or what could have happened individually. And I love this idea of collaboration in general. We're going to look at three sections in the book of Nehemiah, each of them talking specifically about examples or showing us what it looks like to collaborate well together. Isn't this picture amazing? You look at this closely. There's so much to appreciate about this picture. I love how intense the guys are, right? Like they're so focused. They're they're so in. And and if you've ever, look how close they are together. If you've ever rowed together in a boat that's that small, if you get this wrong, you're going to hurt each other, Right? Like there's a component of this that these guys are going at it. They're so focused. I love the guy in the front. I think he's not going to get any suntan. Um, But there's a component of this as you look at it that they're so focused. Do you even notice in the back that they have a couple of extra oars? I I get this image like they're rowing so hard that if it breaks, we're like, we're good. We got another one in back, right? Now this image of them rowing together is one that I think is a beautiful example of what happened with Nehemiah. If any of you have ever had the privilege of going whitewater rafting, the, the, you, see, you see how delighted these kids are, how, how happy they are. This is, they're just excited about the opportunity. I love the phrase that we're going to emphasize. The main point this morning is that life done right is a collaborative effort. We're, we're in the same boat together, but I've experienced the other kind of rafting where you're rowing in the wrong direction and you're not going in the direction that you want to go, where there's blood because you didn't synchronize together well. 
when we went on a West Virginia missions trip, uh, when I was a kid, I had the, I do missions trips all the time, don't I? It sounds, um, but when, when I went as a kid, I went to the New River. Some of you have been on the New River before. The water was particularly low. I was in high school at the time, and we had multiple boats, and in fact, the boat that was in front of us was, was full of younger students, and they were so paying attention to the guide when they were describing what they were going into. And some of the things the guide said were things like, today you are going to, there's a scale, one to five, and today we're going to experience five plus rapids because uh, the water level's so low, it's gonna be extremely dangerous. The guides knew from their experience that people had died in those waters doing the event that we were going to do. But as a, a teenager, I don't know why for me, but, but my boat, I can just speak for my boat, no one paid attention to anything that our guide said to us. So I think we just figured we're going to be fine. We'll figure it out. How hard could it be? They got the boat in front of us, looked just like these guys. Don't they just look so happy? And so we headed into the first rapid after we had gotten our briefing, and our raft looked like this. <laughs> so, now, I'm serious when I say there was blood. I would say we might have lost an oar in the process. Um, we, the only person that was still in the boat afterwards was the guide, all right? That was it. And, and after that, after we were tugged back onto the boat and we crawled in together, the guide told us that that was just a two plus rapid. We had done what they called tombstoning, where the boat went straight up because we didn't row together. We, we just rowed through this event. And later on, I promise you that we took it extremely seriously. We listened, we rowed together. And I want to challenge us together as a church as we look at Nehemiah together and as we study this, that there's a component of this that we don't, don't make light the privilege of doing this, this life thing together. I love the phrase burden-bearing fellowship. It, it's this description. It's probably a good interpretation of the word koinonia, the Greek word for community. That, that it means that we partner together in such a way that we do life together in such a meaningful way that we depend on each other, that we row together in the language that I'm using today. There's four points that we're going to emphasize from these passages, and I want to draw to your attention the first of these four points. And that is, with each one of us, we are uniquely given challenges in our lives. The question is, will we step up to those challenges or not? In this rebuilding process, for those who've been with us through this series, we, run, we recognize that there is direct opposition to the rebuilding of the walls. There's individuals who have said that they will not allow this rebuilding process, whether they're doing it deliberately or non-deliberately. They're going to get in the way of the rebuilding process. Some of this is going to come from the very people who could have been a part of the rebuilding process. This challenge for them was going to be an extremely diverse one. As we look at the, the history of Nehemiah, what we see is that this, this rebuilding of the walls was going to have a lot of diversity to it. For some, they're going to, if you look at the text in chapter 3, some are going to be described as rebuilding walls. Some are going to be described as restoring walls. Big difference between the two. When Nehemiah surveyed the walls, he saw that some of them were completely down. Some are going to restore walls that are near the king's garden in the bath of Shalom or Shalul. It's a really interesting phrase, Tekoa. 
Now, the, that, that, that concept sounds beautiful, but what about the guys who are stuck fixing the dung gate, right? Like, there's a component of this that some are going to, because Nehemiah was surveying at night, we studied it over the last few weeks, that, that he would take the 40 sections of the walls and he's going to assign it. There's nothing fair about this assignment. Some people are going to be responsible to do two sections of the walls. Some are going to be doing very difficult rebuilding. Some are going to be building across from their own homes. It's, it's a complex effort. And I can't help but think that if I were there as a part of this, being called to participate in this rebuilding effort, that there might just be a moment when I start to compare myself with what other people have been given, right? That I might just find myself saying, well, I wanted to build that wall. I wanted to be a part of that experience. But instead, what happens is that in his detailed synopsis of what happened, in the captain's log afterwards, what Nehemiah does, he names names, and he mentions people who were willing to engage in what God was doing. That, that some are going to rebuild, some are going to restore, some are going to repair. In the 40 sections, there is going to be a diversity of the task, but what we know is they rebuild this in record time. Can't help but think about the fact, though, that for some, their portion of the work might have felt painfully unfair. I think of Gary Larson, the author of The Far Side, when he um, has the, the, the cartoon that he draws where there's two deer standing up and they're talking to each other. And the one has a red circle birthmark right on his chest. And the one says to the other, bummer of a birthmark, huh? You, you, you think about your own life and you probably say, you know what? This isn't quite fair. I... Later on, we'll look at this, that, that it's easy for us to say, God, you gifted me this way. I wanted to do that, but you've asked me to do this. And one of my favorite people to listen to is a speaker and a man by the name of Mick, Nick Vujicek. And Nick, if you've seen him before, you would recognize Nick because he was born without any arms or legs. And he, um, as, a, as a child, grew up with intense rejection. He, he wrestled ultimately with even taking his own life. And then a part of his testimony is that he becomes a believer in Christ. And what he starts to do then is travel the world sharing a message of hope. I was inches away from Nick when he was sharing when I was a youth pastor in California, just messages of love and affirmation to students who are growing up in a very affluent community that had so much going for them. And yet because of his ability to accept what God's lot for him was, that he was doing this in such a way that it was so life-giving. I want you to hear a quote from Nick. He initially would travel and speak, and the title of his seminars were Life Without Limbs, is what it was called. And later he wrote a book that was called Life Without Limits. And I want you to hear, especially in the center of this quote, something that Nick had to say. He said, life isn't about having, it's about being. You could surround yourself with all that money can buy and you'd still be as miserable as a human can be. I know people with perfect bodies. This is ironic coming from him. I know people with perfect bodies who don't have half the happiness I've found in my life. On my journeys, I've seen more joy in the slums of Mumbai, in the orphanages of Africa, than in wealthy gated communities and on sprawling estates worth millions. Why is that? <laughs> You'll find contentment when your talents and your passions are completely engaged in full force. 
I'm going to reread that. You'll find contentment when your talents and passion are completely engaged in full force. Recognize instant self-gratification for what it is. Resist the temptation to grab for material objects that the perfect house, the coolest clothes, or the hottest car, or if I just had X, then I would be happy. Syndrome is a mass delusion. When you look for happiness in mere objects, they're never enough. Look around and look within. In the middle of that, that statement so resonates with what we see in Nehemiah. You'll find contentment when your talents and passions are completely engaged in full force. It's part of what I believe God's wired us to do. In the Garden of Eden, they were working. They were working in such a way that they were joining in what God was doing. And there's a component of this. I believe it's what God has designed for us to do. That work isn't something that we strive to avoid or to fight against, but instead that, that on this side of the fall, there's a reality of the pain in our toil, but there's also the recognition that God has desired for us to not have to face everything alone, but we get to partner with him and we get to partner with one another. Ironically, in the text, there would be individuals that would look at this work and they would say that this work was below them. The way it's described here in the text, it says, and next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. I love that Nehemiah is pointing out that this is God's work that he's participating in and that there's some individuals that would choose to say, this is below me, right? Like I, I don't even need to do this work. And it reminds us that, that there's this component of the rebuilding of those walls. And when I look back at this, the, of the rebuilding of those walls, that, that for some it might feel like it's insignificant work. For others it might feel extremely important. But in the bigger picture, when we're participating in what God's doing, we get to celebrate the completion of the whole, right? We get to join in the bigger story. Now, there's something else that I think Nehemiah shows us that, that is powerful, and that is our differences can make us stronger when we choose to collaborate well together. Unity amidst diversity is one of God's favorite methods of bringing himself glory. We see it time and time in scripture. Like we, he's, he said this, for just as one body in 1 Corinthians 12 has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And then he goes on to say, if the foot uh, wants to be an eye, I wants to be a foot. There's, there's a part of this, and he, he describes this description of something that's important, that, that some of us are going to feel some parts are more important than the other, that, that we're going to be embarrassed by some, that we, we choose to ignore some of those lesser things, but in, in God's eyes, they're all essential and valuable and a part of what he wants to do. His desire is that we see ourselves as one body of Christ and that we're individually members of what he's doing. If you'll glance with me in chapter three, I want you to notice something in the text, that there's a tremendous amount of diversity on the individuals that were involved in the rebuilding of the walls. There's, there's people who had lots of gold and land that were wealthy, and there's people who are servants. There are people who worked with gold. There were tradesmen. There were individuals, I love the description where it talks about Bethlehem and it talks about Jericho. And if you know the geography of that area, basically they're saying they came in from miles away to be a part of the rebuilding process that wasn't going to directly impact themselves. They were committed to doing something that was larger, that, that we see that the sons were involved and we see the daughters were involved. We see that God's, God's at work through the hands of a multitude of people that had caught the vision. 
And there's, there's a component of this that even the, the priests are involved in the process. The, that, that no one that engaged in this was too above getting their hands dirty. I, I love this, this, this concept. Uh, if you read my weekly newsletter, one of the things to talk about is a church plant that's happening in, in Cleveland in the, in the Huff neighborhood. And uh, this pastor, Pastor Leonard Tanks, he's a good friend, and he has this vision for his new church that he's planting that's going to launch in March. The, the name of the church um, is, is going to be Reach City Church. And one of the things that Pastor Tanks said to me, we're excited about donating some chairs to help them in this church planting process. But one of the things that Pastor Tanks said is he said, this is all about discipleship and seeing a healthy, multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational, multi-socioeconomic church be planted in the heart of Cleveland. And I'll tell you, when I hear that, when I see that, that vision, there's a part of me that says, yes, that's what I think God's asked us to do, to be a part of what he's doing in his story, to unravel his work in God's people's lives, regardless of their background, their race, their color, their history, their story. And it leads us to the third point this morning as we reflect on the fact that diversity makes each one of us stronger that having one another's backs can help us all to accomplish our God-given goals. This, this description is beautiful. In Nehemiah chapter 4, what we see is the scenario where there's individuals now that are attacking the Israelites as they're rebuilding the walls. They're threatened by their, their strength. They're threatened by the rebuilding process. And so what they ultimately have to do is they, they end up having to say that some individuals are going to have to hold swords and shields and protect while the others are rebuilding the walls. Now, I'm guessing if I'm a part of this, if I'm putting myself in their shoes, that, that I want to be a part of the rebuilding process. I don't, I don't want to be a part of the protecting process. But, but what God ends up doing is he helps them all to understand that regardless of what role that they're going to play, they're going to be a part of what God's doing to rebuild the wall. So, so you may be someone who's doing a role that you didn't expect, but it's something that's beautiful. And literally, they're going to have one another's backs. Isn't that great? I love that um, Howard Hendricks used to tell this story in seminary that made me smile. That he said he was asked to, uh, when Tom Landry was the... the um, coach at the, of the Dallas Cowboys, that Tom Landry had invited him to come in and to speak to the guys before a big game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We can mutually not, well, I won't say anything about the Steelers, sorry. Um, so, so Landry invites him in, and he prayed about what he was going to share. And as he started to talk, he realized pretty quickly that most of the guys just expected a chaplain to come in and to say, hey, we're praying for a victory. And instead, what, what, Prof. Hendricks did was he talked about Nehemiah. One of the guys says, what's a Nehemiah? <laughs> I think that's great. But he, he goes ahead and describes this idea, this passage that we're talking about, that, that you have each other's backs, that you protect one another, that there's, there's a dynamic, and you see this on the football field, that there's no weak link that can be possible or it'll be exploited by the other team. And here he describes something that I think applies to that football team, but it also applies to us as a church. And that's that, that protecting one another can be a strategic part of the rebuilding process. That, that it's our responsibility to spur one another on to love and good deeds, but also to defend one another, to protect one another, to have each other's backs. They, they remain constantly vigilant. And in the midst of that, the 
diversity and the complexity of their group ended up being something that was used in such a way that brought a layer to it that they could have never imagined. I love the way that this is stated. There are not more than five musical notes, yet the combination of these five give rise to more melodies than can ever be heard. The description goes on to say, then with colors, more hues than ever can be seen. And there's not more than those tastes and they can add to what, like there's this sense of by partnering together in their unity amidst the diversity that they ultimately, by having one another's backs, they, they find themselves being able to accomplish something that they never could have accomplished if it wasn't for their ability to support one another. We believe as a church that there's tremendous synergy that comes when community is done well. When we do life together, when we choose not to go it alone, and when we fight hard to maintain the spirit of unity and the bonds of peace. That's a part of what God's asking us to do. That as we strive to represent the love of Christ to the community that's around us, that we strive to be people who have one another's backs, that we back each other up and that we protect one another. And it leads us to the fourth point this morning. And that is that God strategically asks us to invest our lives and our resources for his glory. He gives us the privilege to be a small part of what he's doing. What we know is that this rebuilding process ultimately came at a cost. For those who are doing the reconstruction, what we accept is that there was a personal buy-in for them, that they got their hands dirty, that they invested. For some of them, it was really personal. It was across from their house. It was the view from the window. It, it, it represented direct investment in their own security and safety, but for others, it wasn't. It was a gift. It was an investment. It was a ministry. It was a desire to be part of, part of something that was larger. And we see this with Nehemiah, that he was a person who was willing to invest his own resources in this process. What we see in Nehemiah chapter chapter 5, verses 15 and 19. I'm sorry that that's wrong, the wrong reference there. This is Nehemiah 5, 15 through 19. What we see happen here is that Nehemiah ultimately, now that he's been established as a legal governor in that community, he had the right and the privilege to increase taxes, to benefit himself, to, to, to be able to provide for his own needs and to get wealthy off this process. But what these verses say to us is that ultimately Nehemiah at his own expense is going to feed people. He's going to invest. He's going to choose to to support this work, he's going to get his own hands dirty. And I like the way that the last verse puts it here. In verse 19, it says, Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. We know that Nehemiah recognized in chapter 3, verse 5 and 4, 15, that this was God's work, that, that God's doing something. And he accepts that there's this part of him being able to just strategically join and what God's doing. Here at Hope, one of the things that we aspire to be is a group of people who refuse to offer to God what, what costs us nothing. That we want to be people when it comes to our investment of our time, our energy, our, um, our resources, that we consider it a privilege to join God in what he's doing. And I see this with Nehemiah. I see him looking at this and saying that there's a need that's bigger than what this community can handle themselves. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to be able to support this in a way that ultimately is going to make it personal to me, 
but it's going to have a tremendous amount of impact. I want to ask you a few questions that are designed to help us to apply this truth in our lives. And we want to be people who don't just hear the truth of God's word, but that we apply it in our lives. And the first question that I want to ask you to consider in concluding in this message is, is what are some of the things that might have hindered you in your life from participating in a work of God? I think for some of us in this passage, we see the potential diversity of opportunities that maybe God didn't, you don't feel like God gave you the resources that he's given other people. Maybe it's gifting, maybe it's skill, maybe it's, it's, it's financial resource that, that you look at this and you stand back and you say, somebody else can address this. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right? That when the Lord tells that story, there's a component of this that the individuals that walked over the Good Samaritan ultimately would have been people who said, ah, it's somebody else's job, right? Too busy. You have too much going on. There's, there's too many other things than this, this opportunity that's right in front of me. But what we see from the example of Nehemiah is that he says, this is my job. This is a part of my responsibility. I'm all in. The second one, and this one might surprise you a little bit, but I think in our individualistic culture, this one is particularly challenging. And that is, are you doing something alone that you ought to be doing with other people? Are you finding yourself isolated and avoiding community when God is really designed for you to be someone who thrives within community? And I love, as we've gotten to know folks here at Hope, that there's people who love God's word, that have experiences that are beautiful, that have, have wrestled in their own life with understanding their relationship with Christ. And, and there's a part of that part of your story that I'd love for you to invest in others, whether that's through student ministries, children's ministry, whether that's just choosing to give somebody a phone call and say, hey, would you join me? Because I want to invest in your life. That's beautiful and that's powerful. For some of us, we're doing things alone that we ought to be including other people in. And then the third application point this morning is, is a simple question. What is God asking you to collaborate with him on? What is he at work in? What do you see him doing? How do you see him at work in? And what do you think God is giving you the invitation to join him in? Remember, what we believe is that Nehemiah both understood that this was God's work he understood that God was doing something to restore his people to worship that fit in the history of Israel in a beautiful way that ultimately God was doing a work that ultimately was fulfilling his promises to his people in a way that was profound. Nehemiah accepted his perspective on that to be a small part of the restoration process. I don't know what, where you see God at work but what I'm guessing is that for some of us, we, we're like that individual that's trying to pick up that pebble by herself, that we're missing out on the privilege of partnering together with him as he's acting. And if we do that, I believe that we will have the privilege to have a front row seat in what God's doing to bring himself glory and honor. At the end of the day, I think Nehemiah radiated the sense of God's bigness because they were able to accomplish a task that never could have been done in their own strength. I want to be a part of that. And I want to challenge you in your own life to ask yourself the questions, what are those things that might be keeping me from having the privilege of being a part of what God is doing? And if it's because I'm disappointed in what he's asked me to do, I want to challenge you to prayerfully get over that and to ask him to really say, like, like Isaiah the prophet, here I am, send me. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We ask for each one of us in this room that we would not be people who are hearers of your word, but that we are doers. I pray that as we look at this 
tremendous restoration that took place in Israel, that there would be a component for us that we are spurred on to love and good deeds through the action of these leaders and individuals who chose to get their hands dirty, to partner in what you are doing, to say, I'm all in, even if it's just my little fishes and loaves that I'm going to offer you. And I, I thank you for the example of leaders that, that chose to obey I pray that we would reject any part of us that would say that ministry is below me or I want to do something that's, that's, um, that's bigger, that's more special, that's more understood, that ultimately what you've asked us to do is to walk within the gifting that you've given us, to re respond and return to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the very blessings that you've provided for us. We count that a privilege. We love you, Lord, and we think it's a tremendous honor to be invited to join you in what you're doing to bring yourself glory and honor. And we ask as a church that your will would be done in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.